It is April, and we are starting a brand new series today called Jesus Is. And here's the deal. As if you're in church at all, you obviously know Easter is by far the biggest Sunday of the year. Churches swell up on that Sunday. In fact, oftentimes we'll have double the amount of people on an Easter Sunday that you would on a normal Sunday. And that's great. But we spend all this time, energy, and resources in that one Sunday. Um, and that's, that's good too. And we, we're doing that this year as well. But we thought rather than just take one Sunday, let's take the whole month and talk about who Jesus is. Right? I mean, I want you guys to love Jesus with everything you have. I wanted to love Jesus with everything I have. So we're taking advantage of this whole month and talk about all the things or many of the things that Jesus is. We can't talk about all the things he is in four weeks. We're just gonna really probably scratch the surface, frankly. Uh, in fact, Easter Sunday, we're gonna talk about the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's beautiful. That'll be a great gospel message that day. And, uh, but today, I'm actually gonna talk to you about him being the true vine, which is one of the things he said he is. In fact, my text is out of John 15. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together today. These are the very words of Jesus himself. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, stay, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. So he makes it very clear what role we have in this illustration. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing apart from him. My message today is called The True Vine. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are amazing, that you are awesome in this place. Lord, we, we confess today that there is none beside you. There is none above you. Lord, we just want to be in your presence. So would you come and do your work in our hearts today, Lord, as we talk, as we talk from your word, God, as your, would your word just infiltrate our hearts and produce fruit in our lives, God? We wanna be fruit-bearing branches in, the, in life. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way today and that you and you alone would be glorified in our midst in this time we have together. We bless you, we honor you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, you can be seated. So I'm gonna start today by asking you a question, okay? I wanna get you thinking a little bit. It's a pretty easy question. Do you want more of Jesus in your life? I think collectively we could probably all say yes to that, but we'd get 100% Yes, if I went around and asked each of you individually, do you want more of Jesus in your life? I mean, we're in church, so the answer, of course, is yes, right? Uh, the answer in church is always yes when we talk about Jesus. It'd be like me going into a classroom with a, standing in front of a bunch of students before a test and say, does everybody in here want to get an A? I, don't, I think everybody in there would say yes. That's, it's easy to answer that question. Where we get tripped up is the follow-up question to that. How badly do you want that A? How badly do you want more of Jesus? How, are you willing to do what it takes to have more of Jesus in your life? Are you willing to do what it takes to get that A? You know, when, it's, when it comes to school, uh, it's easy to understand what it's gonna take to get an A, right? We know what it takes. You're gonna have to study, you're gonna have to pay attention, you're gonna have to invest, you're gonna have to you know, take notes and do your hard work to learn what you need to learn so that when the test comes, you can succeed at that test. In our faith, it's a little different. It's a little more complicated in our faith, right? When we say, yes, I want more of Jesus, yes, I'm willing to do what that takes, but what does that actually look like, 
right? It, it, because the, the fact is, when we talk about wanting more of Jesus in our life, is it more of how we view what that would look like in our life, or are we committed to what the Word of God would say more of Jesus in your life looks like? I hope to help answer that question today a little bit for us, because the fact of the matter is, what the Bible says about more of Jesus and what we actually think or what we want when it comes to more of Jesus don't always line up. And uh, we have to get our thinking in line with the Word of God. So before I go any further, though, I want to just emphasize our series this month. We're going to be talking about what Jesus is, right? I want to emphasize one word out of that, and it's the word is. I want to make it very clear today and as we go forward this month that Jesus is, okay? It's not Jesus could be. Jesus might be, I hope Jesus to be, and it's definitely not Jesus was, okay? This is not a history lesson about Jesus, okay? Because the difference between the history lesson and the current is everything. Because it's the difference between inspiration and impartation. See, people of history can inspire us, right? George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, those people can inspire us because of the life they lived and the influence they had in society. Jesus does a lot more than just inspire us because he's different than all those history people because he's not dead, because he's actually alive. And so Jesus, it, is, it isn't that he was, it's that he is. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that lives in us. So this makes all the difference in the world. The life that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago is still active and current today, and it lives in you and me. We have, to, we have to start right there. We cannot skip over that, gloss over that, or not emphasize that because it is vitally important that even though this story in John 15 happened 2,000 years ago, it is pertinent today. And it is active in our life today as we give place to it. So my text verse, John 15. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. This, this chapter is, uh, I have a long history with this chapter because it, I read this at a time in my life where it, it changed my whole perspective of who God is and how God sees me. Because in this verse, it, or in this passage, it characterizes us, it, it, it shows that Jesus is the vine. It, it's painting a picture of what a grapevine would look like, right? You got Jesus is the vine, we are the branches coming off of that vine, and the Father is the vine dresser or the gardener in this scenario. And it doesn't sound real glamorous to say, oh, we're branches. Well, what's so great about a branch? until you understand what the vine dresser and the vine mean, or what it means to the branch to be part of the vine and the vine dresser. Because see, this passage will reveal to you if, you, if you receive it, it will reveal to you who God is and how he thinks about you and how much he cares about you and how important you actually are to him. And this changed my life because for so long, my life, my Christian life was really just about living a set of rules kind of being religious, but this changed everything because I, I got an understanding of the Father heart of God and who he really is and how he sees each and every one of us. And it's powerful, and I hope to remind you today or maybe you'll be inspired or maybe this will be a revelation for you that you've never heard in your entire life. Most of us don't have a great context for the workings and the functions of a vine, right? When it comes to a grapevine, we don't really know a whole lot about it. I mean, we get our grapes from Kroger or Publix, or Food Line, or wherever. So we don't have a lot of understanding, but when you understand, when you look into this, and you understand how this works, what you'll learn is that as a branch part, and part of a vine, 
you understand that the vine is everything. The vine is everything to the branch. Not only can a branch not thrive without the vine, it can't even survive without the vine. So the illustration Jesus is painting for us today here is that he is everything for us, that he wants to be everything for us. And he's telling us we can do nothing apart from him. So this is really kind of a no-brainer, right? You say, do you want to be connected to the vine? Well, yes, count me in, right? Because I need it, if I need it that desperately. But it's really about understanding what that looks like. Understanding what it looks like to be connected to the vine and to stay connected to the vine and to what measure we're connected to the vine. Let me just clarify here. First of all, this illustration, this story that Jesus is giving for us is not so much a, an illustration of salvation as much as it is an illustration of effectiveness and of relationship with him and of the fruit that comes from relationship with him. Which when we say we want more of Jesus, that's really what we're wanting. We're wanting more fruit in our life from our relationship with Jesus, right? We want more of him in our life. And he tells us how to do that, how to get the fruit in our life and how to uh, be attached to the vine. The verse four and five of my text verse, I'm gonna read them again. I'll put them up on the screen. Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. Now that word remain there can also be translated abide. It means to, to be held and to be one. It's a, it's a, it's a word of unity, of being, having oneness with him. No, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you think he's trying to tell us something here about remaining? Uh, one, two, three, four, five times in two verses, he says, remain in me, abide in me. He's giving us a key here. What he's telling us here is to be one with him, to be unified with him. Basically, the bottom line is, I love the bottom line of anything. I, well, you can talk all day. I wanna know, what does this mean for me? This means that he wants to be our number one priority in our life, period. Now again, we're in church on a Sunday morning. Of course, we would all say, yes, praise God, glory to God, you'd be number one in my life. We sing it, we say it, but let me tell you something, living this out is one of the most difficult aspects of our faith, hands down. Hands down, one of the most difficult aspects to make him and keep him number one in our life. And you know why? Because there are a lot of things vying for that number one spot. A lot of things looking for that place in our life. And it'd be nice to say, to make a decision on an April morning in 2022 and say, that's it, he's number one forever. And that's just how it goes for the rest of our life. Unfortunately, it's not that way. Because those things that are wanting first place aren't gonna give up. They keep trying to get first place. And we can often shimmy and move those things and shift them in our life many times even in a week. Because it's just such a challenge. It is difficult to keep him first in our life, but there is nothing more than what he wants from us than to be that first place in our life. He wants us to love him more than we love our family. He wants, him to, he wants to be priority over our careers, over our education, over our friends, over our money, over our comfort. He wants priority over all of those things. He says, remain in me, stay connected to the vine 
remain in me and he promises us that he will remain in us as we do that. That's a wonderful promise from our God that he would remain in us as we remain in him and that we would love him more than we would even love the fruit that comes from remaining in him. He wants us to love him above any of everything. He doesn't want us just to follow his rules. He wants us to follow him. And this is something we get, we get tripped up on so much in our faith when it comes to just the nitty gritty of this faith life that we live of just sitting before Jesus and just getting to know Jesus and pursuing Jesus and giving him the highest place in our life. It's so difficult to stay there. But as we grow in this relationship between the branch and the vine, it becomes something that we start to realize more and more in our life that I really can't live any other way. There's no other way. And then when it gets out of order and I realize something else might be in first place, it bugs me and I'm convicted. That's the heart of God for us. It's, we'd be naive to think that we could just stay in that place where we've just got our life perfectly prioritized every day for the rest of our life. It doesn't work. We don't live in a, in a vacuum. We have to live in this world and there's other things that are vying for our attention too. And he wants us to put him first. Now, that actually brings me to my first point. And if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. We are not called to focus on the fruit, but to focus on the vine, okay? We're not called to focus on the fruit, but focus on the vine. Listen, the fruit of a vine is wonderful. I'm sure all of you have at least seen a grapevine in a picture or something, right? And the, if you were to walk up to a grapevine today, the first thing we would all do is look for the grapes. Does this thing have grapes and are they good, right? It's the first thing we would do. The grapes are what is appealing to others. The fruit is what is appealing to others. And so it's easy for us to wanna to focus on the fruit, the fruit of obedience, you know, the fruit of being connected to the vine. It's easy for us to focus on that, but we're not called to focus on the fruit. Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me and I will remain in you. He wants us to focus on him, not the fruit. The fruit is a byproduct of focusing on him, but that's not meant to be our primary focus. It's okay if it gets some focus, but it's not meant to be the primary focus because when we get it out of order, we're putting the cart before the horse. And if we're trying to focus on the fruit, what we're doing is we're doing it backwards. In fact, it's okay to want to walk in obedience. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to obey God and have that fruit in our life. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 47, it says, I delight in your commands because I love them. This is, a, this is David writing this down saying, I love your commands. I love to be obedient to you because I love them. This is a person with a heart after God. This is the cry of a heart that wants to obey God, but this is the cry of a heart that wants to be connected to God. Not just about the obedience, but as an overflow, as an outflowing of our connection to him in our life. You see the branch connected to a vine is going to be compelled to produce fruit. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be the fruit that the vine wants the, the branch to have. You know, a, a vine branch cannot say one year, you know what, this just feels like a tomato year. Like I'm gonna produce tomatoes this time. He can't do that. He doesn't have a choice. The fruit that's going to be produced from being connected to the vine is the fruit that the vine wants the branch to have. 
So we don't focus on the fruit, we focus on the vine. Because here's the deal. Obedience without relationship. Obedience to God without relationship with him is nothing more than religion. That is actually the definition of religion, is when we just want to obey, when we wanna raise a moral standard. You know, I can have no relationship with Jesus and I can read my Bible and I can try to do a lot of what's in here. You know, I can read the 10 commandments like, yeah, I think I can not kill someone. That makes sense. You know, there's things I can do. In fact, that's how I lived the, my teenage years. I had no relationship with Jesus. I just knew the rules and I tried to do it. And to people on the outside of me, they would have looked at me and said, that guy's got some fruit. He's a pretty good kid. He's not doing all those other things that all the bad kids are doing. I was obedient, but I was not connected to the vine. So my fruit was, it was phony. It was empty. It wasn't sweet at all. If you would have tasted it, it would have tasted like rubber there was nothing there because I was putting obedience ahead of relationship and all I was doing was practicing religion. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're focused on behavior modification. And can I tell you, God is not about behavior modification. That's not what he is. That's, he's not trying to get you to act a certain way. He's not trying to get you to behave a certain way because he said to. He wants relationship with you and he says, if you will connect to me, if you will put me first, You'll have the fruit. You'll have no choice but to operate in that fruit. But it has to come from connection to me and not just about behavior modification and being a good Christian. Can I tell you, I remember where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing the moment the Lord revealed to me that I will never be a good Christian. Because see, that's oftentimes what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a good Christian because that's kind of how it's supposed to be. And when the Lord revealed to me, you will never be a good enough Christian, it, wasn't, it didn't give me a license to do whatever I wanted. What it did was it refocused my life. I refocused, instead of putting my energy on trying to be a good Christian, I put my energy on trying to get to know my Lord and Savior. And I learned, tried to learn what it was like to be in relationship with him and be connected to him. And a, a beautiful thing happened. The fruit was there again, and it was real this time. And it actually was functioning the way it was supposed to. You know, I work out with a group of guys a couple times a week. It's called F3. We get together at 5.30 in the morning and we work out at Lady A. And uh, it's like a boot camp workout. It's pretty intense. And, and uh, there's, sometimes there's as many as 20 guys there. And we work out together and it's, you know, it's pretty intense. It's good, but it's good accountability. It's good to get out and work out like that. But inevitably, when you get 20 guys together working out, there's gonna be a few inappropriate comments made. That's just kind of how it works sometimes, you know? Testosterone is just flying. And inevitably, somebody will say something that probably shouldn't have been said, just joking around, trying to lighten the mood. And just as inevitably, someone else will say, hey, you can't say that, there's a pastor here. And I'm looking around going, who? <laughs> oh no. And you know, it's kind of a joke to a degree, but at the same time, there's some truth to it. There's some truth to it that they, because you, sometimes you'll see, especially if there's a new guy, he's like, oh man, you know, because he might have cussed or something. And then he's like, ooh, I shouldn't do that around the pastor, you know, because everybody knows pastors are perfect, right? And so, and everything inside of me just wants to, wants to like stand up and start preaching a sermon, you know? So I'm like, don't, don't change your behavior because there's a pastor in the area. 
Like that is not the heart of God at all. Don't modify your, because if you're modifying your behavior for a pastor, because for some people, a pastor represents God to them, you know, on the earth, which is absurd. We're not a representative of God. We all have relationship with Jesus if we so desire, right? I don't have any more Jesus than any of you guys do if you're going after him. But there's still that idea that I represent God to some of these guys. And so they're, beha- they're, they're modifying their behavior around me because they're like, well, that's how a good Christian would look. And they're spending their energy just trying to modify to look a certain way. I gotta look like I have some fruit because there's a pastor in the room. Oh, I gotta look like I have some fruit because I'm in church. Oh, I gotta look like I have some fruit because whatever it is. When the reality is that is, that is not what God's looking for. He's not looking for that at all. He's looking for the connection. He's looking for the relationship. He's looking for the people that are dedicated to him because when we're dedicated to him and we are pursuing him and he is our first priority and he gets time in our day on Monday through Saturday and not just Sunday, that relationship with him grows, he remains in you and the fruit coming out of your life is genuinely from the vine, not from you just trying to change your behavior because it's the right thing to do. Being a Christian is not about being good enough and it's not about not doing bad things. It's not about how often you go to church. It's not about how much money you give back to God. It's not even about how much you read your Bible. Now, all those things are good things, but that's not what being a Christian is about. It is about connection to the vine. Now, if the church helps you connect to the vine, that's a good thing. If your family and your friends and people in your life help you connect to the vine, that's a good thing. But that's still an end, a means to an end. The end is the connection to Jesus, the relationship, the personal, intimate relationship with him. That's what this is about. We are to focus on the vine, not on the fruit in our life. Church, I want you to love Jesus more than you love anything. Anything and anybody. There's some, there's even a, there's kind of a noble aspect to like people that, you know, love their spouse or their kids or someone in their life more than they are devoted to their God. There's nothing noble about that. Nothing noble about that. I want my kids to know as much as I love them, they don't, they pale in comparison to how much I love my Jesus. That's the heart that God has for each and every one of us. My heart is not to be a, a good Christian. It's not to be a good dad. It's not to be a good father. It's not to be a good husband. It's to be somebody that loves Jesus because if I love Jesus, those other things will fall in line. They will be a byproduct of that relationship and then it's genuine and it's not manufactured. Praise God. And can I tell you today, it's not always the easiest or the most fun option either to choose him over other things. In fact, let me just be very real with you today. Sometimes it's the least appealing option. It really is. There's times you're gonna have to reject things in your life that are not even horrible, that are not terrible. You're just gonna have to not even always reject them, but just make them fall in line under your relationship with Jesus. And it can be a challenge. But listen, I spoke to the youth on Wednesday night for their everyone night. And what I was telling them, I'm gonna tell you guys today, you gotta fight for your faith. You gotta fight for it. If anybody ever told you, if you just get saved, give your life to Jesus, your life's gonna be cream cheese for the rest of your life. They lied to you so bad. Because in many ways, living the Christian life is harder than living for yourself because you're not just considering yourself, you're not just considering your family, you gotta consider Jesus first. And his ways are not easy. 
His ways are challenging. Now when we get to heaven, it's piece of cake. Sin's gone. The new man is here. The redeemed body is here. It'll be a piece of cake. But till we get then, we gotta fight the fight of faith. Fight it. And it is worth the fight in our life. We are not called to focus on the fruit, but on the vine. Next point, connection to the vine brings discipline from the Lord. <laughs> this, is, this is a fun one. Um, if I'm trying to encourage you to be connected to the vine, this, this may not help matters. But no, actually, I think it will. I mean, nobody likes discipline, right? Nobody likes to be disciplined. But discipline is a very real thing. Everybody's experienced it. Everybody's probably had to dish some out. And you, you, we all know that we discipline more the people we love the most, right? If there's somebody I don't care, I don't have any relationship with them and I see them do something, I'm probably not gonna discipline them. My kid does something that they need discipline, <laughs> I'm the first in line. The first one there. And it's not because I'm mad or because it's my kid, it's because that's my kid and I want you to do what you're supposed to do, right? I want you to live the way you're supposed to live. I want you to be appropriate. So discipline comes from love. And God is no different. He disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines us because he loves us. And uh, let me read the first two verses of my text verse again. In verses one and two, he says, I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. All right, so there's a lot here. First of all, it says that he is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. That's our father. Okay, this is a beautiful picture of the heart of God because a vine dresser is very committed to their vine. It, people, even, even humans, they've been known to spend their whole life cultivating a vine. They're not like gardeners where they harvest it and move on to the next thing. Vine dressers stay with that vine for a long, long time. And so that's your, that's your heavenly father. He stays with you. He's there with you through it all, through the tough times, through the good times, through the storms, through the sunshine, through the blazing heat, through the freezing cold. He's with us and he's caring for us. And not only that, I have heard that uh, many vine dressers they have to hire people to prune the vine because when you prune a vine, prune the branches, it actually looks like a massacre. They really cut a lot off. And some vine dressers, they're so committed to their vine, they love it so much, they wouldn't trust themselves to cut back enough, so they have to hire somebody that has no relationship with the vine to be able to come in and do the pruning. And that's how much your heavenly father loves you. Now he's God, he's not gonna hire somebody to come in and do his work for him. But that's just how much he loves us. But, that, but he loves us, and that's why he prunes us. And it says in here that he cuts off any branch that is not bearing fruit. Now that word cuts off there sounds pretty rough, but it can actually be translated better to he lifts up the branch that doesn't produce any fruit. Now this is great, because in my studies in researching vines, what I found out is that if a branch of a vine gets too low, if it gets too close to the ground, it will actually root into the ground. It will, I don't know if it thinks that that's something it needs or what, but it'll actually sprout a root and go down into the ground. And what happens is the branches that do that don't produce fruit because they're not getting what they need from the vine. They're actually getting it from the ground and the ground isn't gonna help it produce fruit. And so when the vine dresser comes by and sees branches rooting into the ground, what he does, 
he lifts them up. They're not producing any fruit, so he lifts them up, roots them out of the ground, pulls them up, and he props them up and supports them back to the vine so that these branches are getting the nourishment from the vine that they actually need, and then they start to produce fruit. How great is that? You know, how many of you know Jesus is very intentional with his words? And when he's telling us, this isn't just, he's not just throwing stories out here to try to engage us. He's telling us the heart of our God. And that when we get rooted into things we don't need to be in, sometimes God's gonna come along and pull us out of that spot. And it might even hurt. We might think that that's where we need to be because it just kind of feels right. And God's saying, no, this is actually not good for you. And he pulls us up out of that and uproots us from something. And we can be devastated thinking it's the devil and we're rebuking the devil in our life when all along it's actually God doing it because we're not actually producing fruit in our life. That's how good he is to us. That's his heart for us. But that's the discipline of the Lord and that's challenging, right? Not only that, he prunes us. Pruning, I mean, I, you know, we have some rose bushes at our house. We have to prune those back. I know enough about pruning to know, like you gotta just go at it and prune that thing if you're really gonna see it produce fruit the next year. You know, it's easy to think, oh, I just need to trim a few little pieces here and it'll be fine. The reality is you, sometimes you take it down to where it looks like a little stick in the ground to really get it to produce. And the thing about pruning, if God's pruning us, the thing about pruning is a lot of times the pruning, you're cutting off stuff that's fine. It actually looks good, but it might just be hindering the growth in your life. So God will do that in our life too. He'll prune back things in our life that aren't even bad. It's like, Lord, this isn't even a sin. Why isn't this working? There might be a relationship in your life that's just not good for you that he's gonna prune out of your life. The reality is you really want that because you kind of like how it feels, but God's saying it's not good for you. So there's things in our life that God will take out because he knows more than we do. And we need to be pruned back in our life so that the fruit can really be produced. Hebrews 12, verses five to seven. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's a powerful word. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? You know, I had friends, more than one friend actually, when I was younger, teenage years, that like their parents let them get away with murder. And it didn't have any consequences for anything. They could come in late. They could just kind of do whatever they wanted. And, and my parents were fairly strict, you know, especially when I was younger. And, and I used to just get so mad at these kids that just had no restrictions. You know, when we turned 16, they could stay out all hours of the night. Parents didn't care. But inevitably, what you find happens and, and staying in a relationship with these guys later, what you find happens is these young people that have no discipline, no rules, no restrictions in their life from their parents, they end up resenting their parents. Because we know there's something inside every one of us that knows that real discipline comes from love. So if, if a parent's not disciplining, not pouring into us and keeping us where we need to be, eventually you start to feel unloved because discipline is good. Now, when you're a kid and your mom spanks you, you know, that's the worst thing ever. Your mom's the most horrible human that's ever walked right? It's not fun in the moment, but when you look back, I mean, my parents spanked me and I, I'm very thankful for it because I'd probably be in prison if they did. Sometimes you had to do stuff like that, right? And so the, the discipline that comes into our life is something that actually reveals the love of the person disciplining, usually if it's done right. So God disciplines those he loves. If you're getting away with everything in your faith, you're not having to commit anything to God, 
Jesus is about 14th on your list of priorities and your life's just going on fine, you should be nervous. Now, God loves each and every one of us. He loves us wholeheartedly, but we can reject the discipline of the Lord even. But if we respond to his discipline and know that he disciplines those he loves and that even the hardships we go through can be disciplined, it will actually produce fruit in our lives. He disciplines those that he loves. Can I tell you today, there's gonna be times in your relationship with the Lord where it's gonna feel like he doesn't even like you. It's gonna feel like he has abandoned you because our emotions lie to us. Our mind lies to us and tells us in a certain situation because it doesn't feel the way we want it to feel, well, God's abandoned me. You know what? We have to be reminded constantly that God has not abandoned us. Constantly. Don't ever think you've gotten to the place where you don't have to be reminded of that. I've reminded multiple people just in the last month, God has not abandoned you because they're going through a tough time and it can easily feel, our, our nature when we go through difficulty is to be a victim and to say, why God? That's just who we are as human beings. So you have to be reminded, God has not abandoned you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. What you're going through, there's a good chance it's the discipline of God. It's something that God is allowing to come into your life to make you more like him, to, to connect you to the vine in a greater capacity to produce fruit in your life. That's a possibility in every situation we go through. Not, not everything that comes our way is discipline from God, okay? God does not initiate sin in our lives or sins committed against us in our lives. But even in that, Romans 8, 28, God uses all things for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But oftentimes, it's the discipline of God. It's the pruning in our life that when we give him first priority, it doesn't mean everything's gonna go perfectly smooth. It just means he's gonna prune us a little more because he cares about us that much. He loves you enough to let hardships come into your life if it's gonna draw you closer to him and produce fruit in your life. And his love is perfect for you. And we can trust him in that too. Okay, third and finally, the benefits far outweigh the challenges. Now this is the fun part. There's benefits of remaining in the vine, of remaining attached to the vine. There's fruit in our life as we stay connected. So what does that fruit look like? We don't, as I said a little bit ago, we don't focus on the fruit first and foremost, but the reality is there is fruit and that's a good thing. What does that fruit look like in our life? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us very clearly in Galatians 5 what spiritual fruit looks like. Many of you know this verse. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's the fruit Jesus is talking about, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit that Jesus is talking about from being connected to the vine. So that's a great thing. I, I think all of us would be excited to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our life, right? And to be genuine fruit from our connection to the vine in our life, right? That's a beautiful thing. The benefits far, far outweigh the challenges that come into our life from being connected to Jesus. Did you know you can be a Christian for decades and not have any fruit in your life? Fruit is not a guarantee because you're a Christian. Fruit is a guarantee when you remain in him. You could be a Christian forever and not have fruit. In fact, it's, it's endemic in the church. In fact, 
The church is losing influence in society in large part because of unfruitful Christians. Because we're judgmental. Because we're doing behavior modification. We're trying to act a certain way and we want other people to act that way too without the actual relationship to Jesus. So you can be a Christian forever and not have this fruit in your life. If you want the fruit, you have to stay connected to the vine. It's the only way it can be produced. Can I tell you, I, I do not pray for joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I, don't, I haven't prayed for that in a long, long time. Because I believe for me, it's putting the cart before the horse. You know, you've heard people say, don't ever pray for patience, right? Because God's not gonna wave his magic wand and give you patience. He's gonna put you behind the worst driver in Augusta three out of five days, right? <laughs> He's gonna give you an opportunity to grow in patience. That's how he works. He doesn't just give us these things we ask for like that. So what I, when I learned a long time ago that the fruit of the Spirit comes from my relationship with Jesus, I spend very little time praying for the fruit of the Spirit I seek my God and I, I pray that anything that's hindering me from being connected and from remaining in him would be dealt with. Because as I remain in him, the fruit of the spirit doesn't have a choice but to be produced in my life because I'm connected to the vine. So don't pray for joy, patience, peace all the time. I'm not saying we should never pray for those things. It's fine. There's, there's times where it's specific for a situation. I think it's good. But as a whole, in your prayer life as a whole, don't spend all your time praying for the fruit. Pray for the connection. Pray for the remaining. Pray that it would be, he would be the top priority, that whatever is trying to take your place, God, make it less important in my life. There was a season in my life where sports was so important. I knew everything about every team. I just, I was a stat junkie. I would watch sports all the time. It was just a huge part of my life. Nothing wrong with sports, but it took precedent over everything. And when I start praying and saying, God, remove those things in my life that are higher than you, you know what's happened miraculously? Sports are very, very unimportant in my life now. And I don't grieve over it at all. It's, he didn't take it from me and say, well, you can't watch it. You got to turn off the TV, Reagan. If you love me, you won't watch any football. Somebody did. As I put him in first place, all of a sudden the, the, the rabid ambition towards that started to deteriorate, started to dwindle in my life. To the point now, it's like, I mean, I still like it. I watch it sometimes, but if I miss a game, it's not the end of the world. But any, and sports is not bad. That's the thing. Those things that are okay even in society and in the church can take that place in our life if we're not careful. And then we'll, we'll just keep doing those things and keep allowing Jesus to be way down the totem pole and still pray for God to produce his fruit in our life. And Jesus would look at you and say, don't pray for that. Start over here. Start with the connection to the vine. You're barely connected. You're hanging on with a finger. Grab onto it with both hands. White knuckle that thing. You know, pursue me. And you'll see the fruit as evidence in your life. We can't expect to give God the leftovers in our life and expect the, the, the highest blessing and the highest fruit that comes from full commitment. You know, if you owned a restaurant, somebody came into your restaurant and you handed them some leftovers, and still try to charge them 45 bucks like you gave them a filet, they're gonna look at you like you're crazy. I mean, frankly, if you're trying to hand them leftovers in a restaurant, they look at you crazy anyway. But, but we can't expect the best when we're giving leftovers in our life. We are stronger 
when we are connected to the vine. You know, then there's two more verses that I wanna read for you, and I'm gonna close with this. In John 15, my text verses from one through five, and verses seven through eight, two verses down, I wanna read this to you. Some of it sounds the same as the text verse. He, he repeated some things. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So he's repeating some of what he said, but look at what he says there. He says, uh, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now listen, if you read this out of context, this is a narcissism fest waiting to happen, right? Hallelujah, I, get, I can ask God for whatever I want. And he's gonna give me anything I want. But it's, man, there's no verse in, in the Bible that's more important that you read it in context than this one. Because he says very clearly that as you remain in him, he actually says, my words remain in you. So you, whatever you're gonna ask is gonna be his words. When you're connected to the vine, it's not about you. It's not about just praying that you can have everything that your heart desires, but you actually get God's heart when you're connected to the vine. You know, Jesus said that, that he will give you the desires of your heart. And some people take that to mean like, oh good, everything my heart desires, I'm gonna get it. That's not what he means there. He's saying he's actually gonna give you the desires. He's gonna put them in your heart so you even know what to ask for. So we're connected and Jesus is our top priority. Even what we ask for is, is more often than not gonna line up with his will. It's gonna be what he wants for you. I, can, I mean, that's, that's on display in my own life. The closer I get to Jesus, the less I ask him for a brand new vehicle. I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with a brand new vehicle. Don't get me wrong here. But it's not just about what I want. I spend very, very little time praying for myself anymore. I have to remind myself to, you know, think about my needs so I can lift those up to God because I do know that's important. But man, my prayer time is very, very little about me because I just want his will to be done. The closer we get, the more connected we are to him, the more we want his will. The more our will just has to be subservient because I don't even, why would I even wanna do something that's gonna separate me from what you have for me? I don't, I don't always know what's best for me. If I was pruning myself, I wouldn't prune much at all. I'd keep, let it keep growing. Why do I wanna go through that pain and discomfort? I don't prune myself, God does. So how do I know what to prune? So I ask God, you let your will be done in my life. I know I say this all the time, but Jesus was clear when he told us how to pray. He's like, pray that my will would be done, that my kingdom would come. That's how we're to pray. Not like, oh God, give me this and this and this and this and this, because this is what I think I need, but that his will would be done. If his will's done, the things I need will be accomplished. And I can trust in that. I can have full trust that when I ask him for his will to be done, he hears that prayer. And if I want his will, you're not gonna want his will unless you're connected. Because when we are not connected and he's not top priority, what we want is our will. We want whatever those things are above him, that's what I really want. Lord, I really want my team to win. <laughs> Which I do pray for that, but he usually laughs at me. Uh, but when we want his, when we're connected to him, we want his will to be done so we can ask whatever we want because our will is connected to his will and it glorifies him in life. Hallelujah. All right, will you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us. I want us to spend a little time in prayer this morning. I wanna invite you to come to the altar. If you, if you would like to come, please, please don't hesitate. 
you can come and pray up here. But I'm gonna pray for all of us this morning too, or this afternoon. You know, he says to abide, to remain. And here's the thing. I mentioned that this, is a, this faith life is a fight that we have to fight. Remain, that word remain implies that this life of faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Okay, we're not trying to get everything fixed and everything figured out and taken care of in one Sunday morning. We're, we're in this for the long haul. And my prayer every week is that the seed of the word of God will be planted in your heart and it would produce. And sometimes you can't even tell. Sometimes you feel frustrated, like you know, you're not making gains and you're not seeing the improvement in your life, but it's a marathon, church. And we have to be in it for the long haul. We have to trust that he is good and our focus can be on staying connected to him, making him the top priority. Don't look at your friend's relationships with Jesus or your parents or your brother or your cousin. Don't look at anybody else's relationship with Jesus unless, except for maybe some inspiration. But he has called each one of us to making him number one, our top priority. And that is, that is not necessarily all that common even in the church because it's such a challenge but we can do it. We just have to be intentional. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth. Your word brings life. God, we thank you today that you are the true vine and we are branches. God, help us to embrace our role, to stay connected to you, to remain in you, Lord. I'm so thankful today to know that when I remain in you, I know that you remain in me. No matter how the situation feels, the truth is that you are there. You do not abandon, you have not forsaken, you are not angry. God, let that truth sink into our hearts today in a powerful way. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for each and every person under the sound of my voice, that we would give you first place in our lives. And Lord, that we would recognize those things that are trying to take priority and we would command them and make the decisions to make those things bow their knee. God, where we have fallen short, we repent. Lord, where we have put things ahead of you, where we have put relationships ahead of you, dreams ahead of you, comforts ahead of you, relationships, family ahead of you, God. We repent. Lord, you are first. Take your rightful place in our lives. Help us to pursue you above all else. Not even to pursue the fruit, but to pursue you. We don't want behavior modification. We want connection to the vine. Help us, Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own, Lord, and we refuse to try because it's all about you. Help us, Lord. We love you today, God. I pray you do this work in our hearts, Lord, and that this would produce fruit in our lives, that we would not forget this this week or next week, God, but it would remain in us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you today. You are so good and so faithful. Hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's praise God with a hand clap today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. I just wanna say before we're dismissed, if, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I encourage you not to leave today without making that choice, without committing your life to him? And if you don't know anybody, if you didn't come with anybody that can help walk you through that, 
we'll be up front here when it's over. You can come up and, and uh, I'd, be more, I'd be blessed to be able to talk to you, pray with you, because um, that's, that's what really matters. You can't be connected to the vine if you don't know Jesus. And uh, he's the best decision you'll ever make. Praise God.